I'm Sandra, and I'm just the professional your small business was looking for. But you didn't hire me because you didn't use LinkedIn jobs. LinkedIn has professionals you can't find anywhere else, including those who aren't actively looking for a new job, but might be open to the perfect role, like me. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites. So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you'll miss out on great candidates like Sandra. Start hiring professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. Hey, Dave. Yeah, Randy. Since we founded Bombas, we've always said our socks, underwear, and T-shirts are super soft. Any new ideas? Maybe sublimely soft. Or disgustingly cozy. Wait, what? I got it. Bombas. Absurdly comfortable essentials for yourself and for those facing homelessness. Because one purchased equals one donated. Wow, did we just write an ad? Yes. Bombus. Big comfort for everyone. Go to bombus.com slash ACAST and use code ACAST for 20% off your first purchase. Hello everyone and welcome to this week's episode of the Proper Class Podcast. I'm Hannah Chiswick. And I'm Laura Checkley. And we are of course here to celebrate all things working class because if we don't, who the bloody hell will, eh? As always... Hold on, hold on. Hold on, what are you doing there, Machika? What? <laughs> hold on, have you just taken it upon yourself to steal my catchphrase? Well, it's not really a catchphrase, is it? So... Well, it's very much catchphrase and it's actually catching on. That's why people call it a catchphrase, Hannah. Absolutely Chizik. nobody calls no, that listen, a catchphrase. No, listen, listen. Now, listen, I know I said last week, right, that I didn't want to do the catchphrase anymore. It didn't actually mean that you should now go ahead and do it. This is a bit awkward. Well, Michelle called me actually yesterday just to have a little chat and uh, discuss the future of the catchphrase and what she oh, was... Oh, no, still- hold on, hold on, hold on. You and our producer, Michelle, had a little natter, did you, without me? Excuse me whilst I remove that blunt old Nike... Nike? Nike? Nike from my back. <laughs> big old Nike. Big Nike uh, trainer in my back. That's how I feel. <laughs> it's not a big deal. You said you didn't want to do any more, so I just thought I'd give it a go. All right, OK, fine, fine. Good luck with it and, uh, yeah, watch the complaints come rolling in. Go on, carry on. Wow. Each week we sit down with a working class hero and discuss just how they got to where they are today. So without further ado, who are we celebrating this week, Law? Well, it's fair to say that this week's guest and I go way back, way back when to a time when I had just one chin and he had hair. I mean, I lie, I don't think I've ever known him to have had hair or for me to have ever had one chin for that matter. But you get the picture. I actually can't quite believe we've managed to pin this week's guest down because he is quite literally, without a doubt, the busiest man in showbiz. Not only an award-winning comedian, but this week's guest is also a presenter, writer, podcaster and author to boot. In 2005, at just 22 years of age, he burst onto the comedy scene winning So You Think You're Funny, Best Newcomer Award. And in the same year, he also won the BBC's New Comedy Award. So not a bad start. Not too shabby. Not too shabby. After that, there really was no looking back. We'd sell out shows in Edinburgh and London, he was quickly whisked off and put on the road supporting the lights of Sarah Milligan Michael McIntyre and Ramesh Ranganathan taking him all over the world so it's hardly surprising that soon after he was headlining his own sellout tours and becoming a comedy heavyweight in his own right. In 2018 and 19 his sellout tour absolutely was so successful it extended a number of times culminating in an unforgettable sold out run at the London Palladium which was filmed and broadcast on Channel 4. Not only a star on stage but this week's guest has been making a real splash on our screens too appearing in shows such as Live at the Apollo A League of Their Own 8 Out of 10 Cats The Last Leg Would I Lie to You Mock the Week The Jonathan Rush Show Ooh, the John- got, Jonathan? That's how Jonathan would say it which is why I thought I'd say it like that The Jonathan Ross Show and even put in a shift for the Royal Variety not content with all that, he's also had his own series on Radio 4, got a hugely popular podcast and has just penned his critically acclaimed Sunday Time best-selling memoir. God, blimey, I'm running out of breath there. No shame. You need to put your teeth back in, babe. <laughs> but no doubt you'll probably know this week's guest best for hosting shows such as The Apprentice, You're Fired, Bake Off The Professionals, Bake Off Extra Slice, all the Bake Offs, Quizness and Complaints Welcome to Name But A Few. Quite simply, the dude is a huge success and quickly becoming a national treasure. And believe me when I say it couldn't have happened to a lovely, more deserving man. Folks, with a wit as sharp as his two-piece whistles and my mum's favourite, it's the hilarious Tom Allen! Oh, that's a too generous an introduction. Too generous. No, Why is it I'm too not... generous? But it's all the things you've done. Oh, well, I suppose, but you know. 
How does um, it feel hearing it all back? We always ask our guests how it feels to hear all that stuff well, back. It's, it's very nice. It's very nice. I like the only you said soon was put on to supporting people on the road. Um, and um, it took me about 10 years to get booked on any of those support <laughs> Did it really? Yeah, I've been a stand-up for 17 years now. Um, so it took me about 12 years before I got remotely confident. So I remember seeing you for the first time uh, on the circuit when we were all like playing to an audience of 30 in a smelly old pub. Mm. Um, and I remember thinking... Like, why is why has he not already got his chat show? I've thought that for so many years. Oh. Like, like honestly, like, and it's so amazing to see you doing so well. Are you exhausted? You. <laughs> um, I am quite. I'm quite tired sometimes, but um, I like being busy. I like, um, yeah, I like doing stuff. I think sometimes, sometimes it feels like I'm driving with the brakes on. I don't know quite why, why that is. I think if I'm sort of worried about stuff, then it sort of gets in the way. And if I think too much, then that gets in the way. So it's better to be, um, it's better just to be in the moment, isn't it? Just go with it, just do stuff. And I love, I love doing stuff and love being busy. So yeah, I feel very grateful. And because I had that sort of 12, 13 years of just doing clubs up and down the country and just trying to work out who I was and trying to be good and trying to sort of like claw my way in and not getting anywhere and living with my mum and dad. Um, I'm very grateful for any opportunity I have or any gig I get to do now. Um, somebody I was working with last year was like, oh my God, you know, it's taken me like, took me five years to get to this point. And I was like, Jeez. five bloody years, that all. <laughs> right, sit um, down. <laughs> sit down, mate. Let me tell mate. you about myself. Yeah, yeah exactly. But that's very, maybe that's very pompous of me to say, so I shouldn't say it. Not really. at all, not at all. Um, I mean, do you feel like you've, you've earned it though? Like there's a little bit of you that goes, yeah, do you know what? I've worked fucking hard for this. Um, no, I think as soon as I think like that, it'll all disappear, won't it? I'm on the brink of, I always feel like I'm on the brink of it all disappearing tomorrow. So in fact, yeah. if anything, um, I'm just just terribly stressed and <laughs> trying not to mess it all up knowing that I had that period of working towards it if that makes sense basically yeah, totally. I like to uh, not be happy that's basically what I've realized <laughs> yeah, yeah, is my sure. default and yeah. heaven forfend I should be happy um, but no that's very general no I should, that's churlish of me to even question it thank you for such a lovely warm introduction <laughs> and I remember doing your lovely gig in the downstairs of a, an Italian restaurant which yeah, we yeah, realised had a shout out to Coa yeah, that we owe yes. Coa. Yeah. I think we still owe them a bill don't we We start every week by asking our guests if they uh, could take us back to a place that reminds them of their working class past. Yes. Where would they take us? So where are you going to take us to this week? Well, there's lots of options. And I realise that I come on this and people might be like, what's he talking about working classness? Because I've basically been cursed with this posh voice, which <laughs> my parents never had a particularly posh voice. They're from London. My dad was, for most of his working life, a coach driver. And my mum... Uh, has had various jobs. She's retired now, but she worked in the Army and Navy in Bromley High Street um, on ladies' fashions. And they're both... They're, my mum's from Sydenham in south-east London and my dad is from Penge. Well, Annalee. Uh, That's I'd where say, I live now. And you live now because you're part of that gentrification, of course, Laura. <laughs> That's the problem, isn't it? Coming it's in. has got a lovely park. I bet it... Ha yes, of course. <laughs> you you people, you love the park, don't you? What do you do? Um, do a bit of yoga me, there, do you? Probably. I do, I do a bit of hot yoga, not yes, going to lie. Of and you I've do. got a, uh, a toy poodle, so... Yes, you've ruined who it. Who am I? Who you've ruined the whole I? area. Exactly. <laughs> Actually, my dad would say, I'm not from Penge. I'm not from Penge. I'm from Annalee, which he thought sounded posher but of course sounds much worse sounds like you know, yeah. penge is much posher than annalee ah well that was never the case i think no. for dad but yeah so i realized i've always had this posh voice and people will always be like why do you talk like that why why do you talk like that why and i don't know if it's like a gay thing i've lay everything at the feet of that um, <laughs> that, um but sure. i think it's a gay a gay thing like oh i'm just gonna have a different voice and people are like but why why and ever since i was at primary school as soon as i started primary school why have you got that posh voice i went to secondary school why why are you posh why are you posh you're looking down on me like and of course I wasn't. Well, I was. But Did, were any of your relatives sort of no, not sure, nobody, well spoken? Nobody Irish. They're just Irish or or London on my dad's side. But my dad's family we didn't know really. So um, it's just my dad and my mum's side. It's just my we only really spent time with my nan who was Irish. Right. So that's the only. Um, those are my own influences. So nobody was posh. So but I did you just like make, it. Do you remember making the decision and thinking no, I'm gonna? No, no this it just is came the out voice nowhere. Just came out of nowhere. <laughs> Absolutely so no much. explanation for it. But people have always asked me why, and I don't know why it is. I think it's the same way that, like, maybe I don't know. Like Alan Carr has got a quite a distinctive voice. Mm. Um, I don't. I don't know. You know, various people have got quite distinctive voices, and I suppose it's that really. But so anyway, I just say that to qualify myself. Otherwise, people will be like, "What's he think he is? What coming on here talking about class?" And yeah, but you know what? Voice. Until I saw your stand-up, and I think I think there was a set where you talk about—is it your mum or someone's mum at the school gates? And then you spoke about your background, and I was like, "Oh my god, I didn't 
realised Tom was really working class. I just assumed an assumption just because you speak well. And why can't we speak well if we're working class? Why not? Well, indeed. And of course, there's a, a misunderstanding a lot of the time. I think people assume that posh people, old money people, are much more prone to snobbery and to sort of looking down their noses at people. But in my experience, the reverse has been true. And that anybody working class has been the biggest snob I've ever met. Like, I used to work with somebody. I used to talk like that all the time. And um, we used to have people coming in. It was a, it was a golf club restaurant. And um, I used to work there with her. And she'd be like, oh, yeah, well. And I'd say, oh, they were nice, nice customers, weren't they? And she'd be like, oh, yeah, they're all right. A bit core blimey. And I thought, like, it's so interesting, isn't it? That there's an assumption in, like, Downton Abbey that it's, like, posh people looking down their nose. In my experience, it's never been posh people looking down their nose. It's always been other working class people go, well, I'll look at, uh, you know, my mum. Who do they think they are? Who do they think they are? They're full of their bleeding bleeding selves. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Don't like, don't, you can't get too up and you can't get too down. Like, no. Or like my dad would say, if there was, if we, if my dad burnt the toast, he'd put it on the front garden so the birds could have it. And my mum would be like, oh, oh, that's typical penge. That is typical (laughs) penge. Put that out there. That's disgusting. People come around. What do they think of us? Do you know what I mean? Yeah. yeah like, yeah. there's always that. And then you'd get like a more middle class family would move in who'd leave their bins out for too long. And my mum would be like, oh, it's disgusting. Look, them leaving their bins out. What do they think this is? It's not, you don't leave your bins on the street around here. Don't I leave your bins out. Put your bins yeah, away. Yeah, I think that comes from a place that when you are working class, I know my mum's always like, the house is pristine. Of Everything's course, pristine yes. because it's to go, that's our to idea of what, yeah, to avoid judgment and what mm. our idea of what yeah. money is and what. You know. And I think it's about controlling the things you can control, I yeah. think. Yeah. Do you know yeah. what I mean? It's like, well, you, might, you don't have to have money. You don't have to have, traditionally, working people couldn't access money or status, but you could control how clean your front step was, or you could yeah. control what your kids looked like going to school. Like, my dad would always polish our shoes before we went to school. It was unthinkable that we go to school without polished shoes. Yeah. Yeah. I think subverting the idea that people would look down on us and go, look, them scruffy kids... Look at them poor kids, you know, that sort of thing. And I think my there dad has had... so many, like, dual standards like that, though, aren't there? And, mm. and you can understand why people become like that, because I just think there are some things that people with money or status, and whichever way you look at it, class, uh, afforded far more space and not judged in the same way. So, like, yeah. you know, you, I often think that. Like, you go to really posh events and you'll see oh, yeah. the person with the most money walking in in, like, dirty trainers and a... Because they're literally not thinking I I bet people look at me and think this they couldn't give two shits I saw a posh actress with some Ugg boots at a premiere once and I honestly the first thing I did is got on the phone to my mum went you'll never go she had Ugg boots on mum she had Ugg boots she's got the (laughs) self-assurance the lack of judgement to think no one's going to look at me and think I've got nothing they know I haven't she just hasn't thought about that whereas if you're sending your kids to school on very already waiting for people to criticise your parenting I think People are like, the least we can do is iron this uniform with an inch of its life. Yeah. yeah. And it's the posh kids it's the, who will be the badly behaved kids who run around. <laughs> yeah. But my mum was always like, no, like, oh, no. I, was, I was so proud of you. You behaved so well. Oh, you you know, like, you, you behaved so nicely in front of it. That was always, like, very important to my mum that we always were polite. Represented well. Represented well, yeah. Yeah. Mm. And I was... Um, I mean, I realise I'm subverting what I've just said, but I did go to the Chelsea Flower Show on Monday. All right, okay. Oh, did you? I've, done, I've only been there twice. I've only been twice, so I'm not. It's not like a regular haunt of mine. But Is it the, lovely though? It looks lovely. It's absolutely fabulous, actually, Laura. You know, yeah. it's very. Yeah. Um, everybody's in a good mood because you can't be an angry gardener, can you? No, you can't. <laughs> <laughs> you know Imagine what I mean? You never serious. do that. Like, these bloody ah, oh, gotta dig up these bloody vegetables, take down the bloody Chelsea Flower Show. You can't I'm that be like person that. now that um, in when I pop up to Crystal Palace Village, um, oh, I go and um, I get myself a little bunch of flowers every week. Oh, that's week. lovely. Yeah, nice treat. My mum always says... But that's quite a middle-class thing to do, I think, to buy a bunch of flowers every week. No, I, well, my mum would always say, I don't smoke, so I spend that money on flowers. That's like that Elton John. Elton John, he loves to spend up on a flower, doesn't he? Well, my dad <laughs> always had the saying, he said, well, and talking about class, he always said, next to Elton John, I'm a pauper. But next to a pauper, I'm Elton John. Which I thought was a funny way of, like, my dad wasn't, like, couldn't be more different to Elton John. Has he got glasses at least? Or he, My dad did wear glasses, yes, but not not in the same style as Elton. Never had those kind of, like, spindles coming off them or, like, <laughs> lights or anything. No, no, then walking no. around Penge, exactly. Exactly. So where are you going to take us back to then? I don't think we got to that, did we? Where oh, would I'm you sorry, take I went us? off on yeah. this big... Um, no, we love it. Um, well, again, in the complexity of it, I have two options and you can choose. Right. One is maybe an obvious choice, but it's at the Anglesey Arms pub in Bromley where my dad would take me when I was about four or five years old. <laughs> um, my dad would take, on a Sunday, 
he hadn't gone to church beforehand, but when I, I was his eldest and um, he thought it would be a good thing for me to be taken to church. So we went to church on a Sunday morning and then afterwards we'd pop into the Anglesey Arms, which he loved the pub. So it's a real contrast, really, yeah. when you think about it. Bit of yin and yang right there. Wine yeah. available in both. <laughs> and, um, uh, and, and so we'd go to the Anglesey Arms uh, pub and it was just, he loved that sense of, he said it was a public house. When people didn't have space to entertain, you'd go to the public house. Yeah. Because then you could publicly, yeah. that's where you would socialise. You wouldn't have a party in your house because your house would be too small. Or, you know, you wouldn't, it just wouldn't be set up for that. It would be like a, you know, you might have a parlour if you were lucky, but likely the hood is you had a back room, which was a kitchen, come mm. everything. Um, yeah. So you go down to the pub to celebrate or socialise or talk. or And he loved that. Was it like, like an old boozer, like old pipe and slipper kind of place? It was, but again, it wasn't scruffy. It was very, as you see, like those pubs around London, those old Victorian pubs mm, and stuff. Beautiful. And ev- everywhere, actually, not just London, but everywhere. They've got that beautiful beveled glass, beautiful brasswork, yeah. beautiful mm. shining bars. Again, because there was that sense of pride in those yeah. spaces, even yeah. though they were places where, you know, and always that desperation to be like a reputable establishment, I suppose. <laughs> yes, yeah. And then on a Sunday, they put out like, put out like cockles and whelks on the bar. Oh, lovely. Sort of like that kind of Cockney tradition, that sort of Cockney tapas. Cockney <laughs> tapas. Um, <laughs> Of um, cockles and whelks and maybe some crisps, maybe a few mini We used to have around my nans, right up until my teens, we would, the uh, horse and cart would come around with the shellfish. and we'd Really? Get, yeah, we'd get winkles. Winkles are oh, hard work, wouldn't they? And we'd oh, get, you'd get like a little yeah. pin to pick yes. them out with and... Um, oh, and cockles, yeah. I loved cockles and loads of vinegar on and um, oh, yeah, love crab that. sticks. They well, were always a favourite, yeah. weren't they? Still love a crab stick. You, know, you still go a crab stick, don't oh, yeah, you? Oh yeah, lovely pack of crab sticks. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> lovely treat, isn't it? Yeah. Well, they're not a nice thing to eat on a train, but they are a nice... Oh God, no. Crab oh, you're that person lovely on the train. With a homemade mayonnaise. Um, <laughs> that, you can elevate them, you know. Um, but um, no, they're lovely, aren't they? And sometimes they'll be jelly deals, but I don't... I don't really remember them very well. And yeah, not I wouldn't I've thank ever you had. for a jelly deal. No, actually. I'd not no, thank you for you. a jelly deal. Ooh. So maybe the Anglesey Arms. My mum never liked the pub. Oh, I don't like going to the pub. All smoke and everything gets in your air. And like that. So mum didn't like that. Mum doesn't really talk as extremely as that. I should tell you. I don't <laughs> should talk be like furious. that. <laughs> but then the other place I was going to say is, which I think taps into the nuanced surrounding class, which I'm always fascinated by. One of the most fabulous places that opened for us was the Glades Shopping Centre in Bromley. Oh. Yes. That's, that's that, your way, wasn't it? Yes, I spent much of my teenage years in the Glades. Oh, same. Yeah. Where did you grow up, Hannah? So I grew up in, um, well, I grew up in Greenwich, oh, uh, yeah. which now sounds terribly posh, doesn't it? But it was no, not. I know. Uh, yeah. And I went to school in Kidbrook. Oh, right, yeah. Yeah. But yeah, the, the big outing was like, you know, once we were allowed to go on our own, we'd go yep. to the Glades. Same. Yeah. It was a real hotbed of teenagers. Was um, mm. Like, either... <laughs> beating each other up or getting off with each other. Neither yeah. of which I partook in because I was too busy <laughs> looking looking around Marks and Spencers or maybe in the body shop buying some bath some bath pearls. <laughs> um, but still, it was exciting. And I think the fact of the matter was the Glades was a very fancy place uh, because it, it felt very glamorous and felt very modern mm. to go to an indoor shopping precinct. Yeah, that was quite sort of a new thing, wasn't it, with us growing up, those sort of shopping centres. There wasn't, mm. like, you'd, you'd get, like, you started getting them sort of in the 90s, was it? Or early, they were around early, early but that particular one with, like, a little bit more, like, you know, my local one was Lewisham's shopping centre. Oh, yes. And that's still pretty much as it was. I'm not, mm. like, honestly, the same shops mm. for, like, the last 40 years. Yes. But to get to the Glades, you'd have to take two buses, but it was Ooh, worth it because it was thought it. of as, like... Mine was it the... It just um, had a bit more high fashion. I mean, mm. when I say high fashion, it was Dotty P's. Debenhams, yeah. It was yeah. Debenhams. I lovely Debenhams. Yeah. There was yeah. a Debenhams, actually. Lovely Debenhams. Yeah. Oh. There was sometimes we'd get on the 119 and go over to uh, the Whitgift in Croydon, and that really mm. did feel like a, a, a true metropolis. You could yeah. see it as you went over the over the hill by Kelsey Park. You could yeah, see I, I, I sometimes go up to Croydon because it's, like, it's just mm. quicker for me to get to sometimes, mm. but the Whitgift is... Um, going yeah. strong, no? Well, so it's still going, but a lot of stuff's boarded up and oh, yeah it's really? pretty sad to see yeah because like back when I was like at, when I used to go to Brit school which was around the corner oh, you were the Brit Croydon. school I, didn't know I was right. yeah yeah oh really do you go Brit um, do you go Brit do you go Brit do you go Brit yeah mm. a lot of high streets like that and now like mm. regional high streets they're, they're mm. buggered particularly after Covid and everything yeah. you know yeah well I think it represents, and I remember when Lakeside opened, and my nan would love going to Lakeside mm. over on, over yet across yeah, the dock. Yeah, now that was a metropolis, and Lakeside that was, was a like, new geez. one. Bentalls, it was huge, everything was massive. 
um, that person's release. Because yeah. I think as well, again, people go to a shopping centre. That's not a traditionally working class place, is it? But I remember talking to like a friend of mine who's like quite old school lefty. And she's like, oh, it's, just, you know, commercialisation. It's just like, the commercial, like just that's all people became is like commodities. And then it all came up just commercialisation. <laughs> and I was like, well, yes, I suppose it did. But at the same time, it was very exciting for my family because it was a glamorous place to go and buy stuff. But also, like, I always think of it as a very working class place because actually you can have a big old day out and spend yeah. no money. That's you such could, a weird thing. Like, me and you will still do that. She'll go, oh, we're going to go and have a walk around the shops. Yeah, just have a just walk around the shops. Just a walk around, a look. Don't you don't have to buy anything. anything. I love that a lot it. of planning for Christmas. I love, yeah. like, for working class people going, like, taking kids from quite early in the year and going, like, mm. let's make a list and we'll plan and we'll have a look and see what everyone mm. wants. And it's an outing and then you can get something very cheap to eat in a food court. Yeah. Food and that's court, a whole yeah. day's... Lovely. There might be a little playground, might there? Like a little thing for a kid to run about in. Yeah. And you're I still love doing that. We, would, yeah. we, would, we weren't the sort of family that would go up and always get something. You know, some kids would be like, no. oh, they always got, oh, my nan bought me something. Like, we'd never have that. I was going to just ask you about sort of school and how how was school for you were you academic did you enjoy it well i was i found primary school actually i didn't enjoy it at all hated primary school oh, really? primary it's usually school. the other way around it yeah. is usually the other way around hated primary school was bullied mainly by the girls who i wanted to be friends with and they were horrible oh. to me um but then i went to secondary school and i was still bullied at secondary school as well i went to Scotts Park Primary School and then I went to Cooper's Comprehensive School in, in Bromley and um, that was terrifying and I was bullied there but also I um, liked school and I realised that it was a place I could do whatever, I could explore different things and I could be anonymous and I could go into different I could go and do music or I could go and do drama and I it meant I was busy at break time so it didn't matter that I didn't really have many friends and I know that sounds sad but I'm just putting it out there because maybe there's somebody else who's the same so yeah, that's yeah, why I say I don't invite surviving I don't need, it, yeah. Survive it exactly. Um and I was actually very good at school. You know, it's always that thing of comedians being like, Oh no, I was shit at school, me, all my teachers hated me, and I had to be funny to survive, and I had to be funny <laughs> to distract them. I had to be funny to distract the bullies. And I was like, No, I wasn't any of those things. I was just bullied. Um and then I was good at school and I was really I really liked school, I really liked studying and I really liked and I did very well and I was head boy and I did very well in my A levels. So, you know, there, there you go. I, I admire your um courage at that age to like because I, I went to a really posh dance school oh. alongside going to quite a rough school comprehensive oh yeah and I'd go to my dance school and I'd, I'd speak you know really posh or I'd try to tell that a bit more like that but mm-hmm. and then I'd go to my my school and I'd be all like you know all right and I just was like leading like a double life because I didn't have the balls to be my authentic self. Um, And if I was, if I think if I was in your shoes, I definitely would have tried to like, I don't know, do a wider accent, not be Mm. so posh and stand out. Like I admire that you like, no, this is me and I'm going to float off to my music class and I'm going to like, a lot of kids don't, kids aren't brave enough to do that. Well, I just sort of felt like every time I tried to be like fitting in or anything, I knew I just felt like a square peg in a round hole. And so I just thought, you know what? I am an eccentric posh kid who's from a very ordinary family, who's at a very ordinary school, and this is just the way I am. And I think there's lots of people like that who stifle it because they're scared. And I just think that's such a sadness because it's stifling their creativity or whatever because I just sort of felt like I like wearing... When I got to about year nine and stuff and I was like, you know what? To hell with it. I didn't come out. Too scared to come out. Mm. Couldn't dream of coming out. But was like, I can't do that. It's unthinkable to come out, actually, in my school. That's what yeah. it's, it was a yeah, thing so. I sort of said to people. I'm thinking, yeah, wasn't it? That, did you oh. think that, Laura? Oh, it was never an option. I, no. Even when I got yeah. to drama school, really, there were no lesbians. I didn't know any lesbians. So I certainly weren't coming out. I think the first time I really laid eyes on a lesbian was Brookside, that lesbian storyline. Oh, my goodness. Yeah, <laughs> those storylines you know. were so powerful because they were the only role models we had, like Queer as Folk. Yeah. Watching oh it God, going, oh, my God, I didn't know you could do that. Yeah, and I think... Um, I don't know, I always had this sense of sort of growing up that when you grew up around a bit more culture and I always thought, oh, middle-class people are cultured and da-da-da and, and uh, you know, I just thought, I, I judged and thought that working-class people wouldn't really understand me, my family wouldn't get me, they don't know any gay people. They, sure. You know, yep, you same. constantly grew up with, you know, jokes, inappropriate jokes about gay people, so I was like, it was never an option. Like, right, yeah. Never. It wasn't like, yeah, exactly like that, and I always feel like I want to explain that to people because it wasn't like... Wow, so brave, or like I don't know. It's not. Sometimes people like simplify those narratives, and it always drives me up the wall because I'm like, no, it wasn't like that. You just don't. It was just like 
it wasn't like I was battling it really. I suppose I was in a way, but for most of my youth, I just locked it away in a box and buried yeah, it. Yeah, yeah. And buried it and forgot about it, and yeah. just tried to blend in as much as possible, really. And so, yeah. So, so I just after a while, I just sort of thought, I'm going to wear whatever I want. I'm going to be a Noel Coward fan, and even though I'm 14. <laughs> How did you come across things like that, like Noel Coward, like in a working class home? Well, it's funny because I loved Elton John. I loved piano music. I loved his extravagance. I loved him from really early on. I was obsessed with him as a teenager. He was like everybody else was obsessed with like Oasis and Blur. And I was like Elton John. And that wasn't cool. It wasn't cool to be different then. It wasn't cool to be eccentric. It wasn't cool to be like to like someone as. And he was just outlandish, I suppose. That's what I liked about Elton John. And I liked the piano. I learned, I did piano lessons. And then one of my music teachers said, you know, you might like Noel Coward. And so I took a book out of Bromley Central Library, thank God for libraries. I know. And the Noel Coward songbook and a CD, a lovely musical called Noel and Gertie. Um, I know it well. And do you, do you really have I really a, do. It's yeah, a lovely recording they did. Oh, oh, well, it's a good recording of it. It's just all the songs, <laughs> but they were more modern because otherwise all the recordings of Noel Coward songs are from like the 1930s and they were like, we're all singing like yeah. oh. uh, and, um, Noel Coward is famous. I've been to a fabulous party. Is yes. That, that's Correct. a Noel Coward, isn't it? Yes. Indeed. Yeah. Yeah. But then, of course, he had some more sad ones, which obviously I gravitated towards. Matalo, I'll <laughs> see you again. The party's over now. All the very maudlin ones. Oh, the ones. party's over. That's a beauty. Oh, do you like that one? Oh, Hannah? my God, oh, I, I love, love that one. And so you, you were how old when you were listening to Noel Coward? 14, 15. Wow. And my parents were like, oh, yes, very like very kind of like supportive of it. And like, That's amazing. Um, they kind of liked it, yeah. And so did was the idea born there that you wanted to perform in some way or...? I think I always knew I wanted to perform from sort of like late primary school, I suppose. I liked being eccentric and I liked being on stage. I liked doing little shows and I liked being different. Um, I auditioned to be in the uh, year four production of jo- uh, Joseph, the school's version. Um, didn't get the part of Joseph. That went to a boy called Luke, I think. Um, but I knew there was another part going for the Pharaoh. And so I asked them if I could audition for that. I got the part of the Pharaoh. Amazing. Um, and um, I enjoyed it very much, yeah. And sure, I'm way more interesting than Joseph, sorry. Well, I realised that, of course, I was a character actor. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> At the age of eight, yeah. Hey, it's Danny Pellegrino from Everything Iconic. Ready to upgrade your style game without blowing your budget? Check out Quince. They've got all the good stuff, shirts and polos, activewear and fine leather goods, all at 50 to 80% less than other high-end brands. And the best part? They're all about safe, ethical and responsible manufacturing. Get that luxury vibe without the luxury price tag. Hit up quince.com slash upgrade for free shipping and 365-day returns on your next order. That's quince.com slash upgrade. Hiring for your small business? If you're not looking for professionals on LinkedIn, you're looking in the wrong place. That's like looking for your car keys in a fish tank. LinkedIn helps you hire professionals you can't find anywhere else, even those who aren't actively searching for a new job but might be open to the perfect role. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't even visit other leading job sites. So start looking in the right place. With LinkedIn, you can hire professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com people today. Millions of people have lost weight with personalized plans from Noom. Like Evan, who can't stand salads and still lost 50 pounds. Salads generally for most people are the easy button, Right. For me, that wasn't an option. I never really was a salad guy. That's just not who I am. But Noom worked for me. Get your personalized plan today at Noom.com. Real Noom user compensated to provide their story. In four weeks, the typical Noom user can expect to lose one to two pounds per week. Individual results may vary. Hey there, it's Michelle Norris. I'm host of a podcast called Your Mama's Kitchen. When I travel, I'm usually looking for a way to find a taste of home when I'm not at home. And one of the things I love to do when I am at home is entertain. And Airbnb allows me to do that. When I was in California recently, I rented a house that had a great kitchen. And when we were sitting around the table, we're all thinking, we're in someone else's house. Someone could be in all of our homes as well. If you have a home, but you're not always at home, you have an Airbnb. Your home might be worth more than you think. Find out how much at airbnb.com slash host.
What happens after high school then? Did you go on to university or? No, tried to go to university. I liked studying and they said, why didn't you do an interview for Cambridge? And so I sent off the forms. They invited me for an interview and I just stuffed it up because I didn't know how to do those sort of interviews and always carry a bit of a chip on my shoulder about it. Yeah. Yeah, I think it's a massive big deal that actually one of our previous guests was talking about that. Like that is so... I'm a theatre director and some of the best actors I know are just absolutely abysmal at an audition. Oh, right. It's a whole other skill, yeah. like being good at an audition, yeah. uh, to being a good actor. The two things are related, but they are not the same. Mm-hmm. And it's a similar thing. There are just people who are just absolutely brilliant brains, mm. uh, but are not good. And if you've never been in that environment, if you, you know, if you have a private education, it's mm. built into your timetable from the minute you get there that mm. that's where you belong, that that's who yeah. you are, that, that they and practice with you. If you're going you up and from Oxford, they probably train you. They to, tutor, to, to, of course, within an inch of your life. Well, yeah. You've been tutored from the minute you started school for your you know to get into your school and, and so yeah. you turn up with a level of just practice that that yeah you don't know what the rules are no absolutely not I thought you just had to be polite and just show that you were polite and the sort of the essays I'd sent in I thought would speak for themselves in a way because I my teachers said they were very good <laughs> and um you know the sort of work well, I'd sent in well I'd like to think so but um of course I was just like wittering on about Noel Coward and about how I liked the arts and how I liked, and they were like we're talking to you about, they didn't say this, but they gave me some feedback afterwards in, in written form and said uh, I had a tendency to jump in too quickly with an answer rather than thinking it through. Wow. And I remember thinking years after, actually, that was, again, um, a symptom of my, my upbringing because it was like, well, you're nice, be a nice, polite young person. If somebody asks you a question, don't sit there and think about what you're going to say. You answer and say, oh, thank you very much. Yes, I'd like to. Well, I like this and I like that. And I'm very happy. And, you know, yeah. it was very sort of, mm. and looking back, I must have been so naive about it. But. And forgive me, I suppose I do have a bit of a chip on my shoulder about it. But yeah. in my mind, I was like, you've got to do do the, the degree that leads to something that you yeah. want to do. Yeah. It's not sort of a thing that you do just to, just to nurture your brain. So I didn't go to university at all. And then I thought, well, I want to be on the stage. I should be an actor. Why don't I go to drama school and audition for drama school? And oh, my God, they they effing hated me. Oh, um, really? Absolutely. The only ones who that liked really me were... surprises The only me. ones who were nice was RADA. Wow. So I've got nothing bad to say about RADA. They were so lovely. It was only the last round I got to. And, and why they, do you think they hated you? What did you feel like? They... Oh, can you imagine, Han? These drama schools either want, right? If you think about it, sorry if anybody works in a drama school now, um, but back, what we're talking, 20, 20 years ago, they are posh people wearing scarves. <laughs> they want either another posh person they can put into all those leading roles and all those mm-hmm. period dramas, or they want somebody who fits their idea of what a working class kid is, which yeah. is not someone with a side yeah, parting yeah. swept back, dressed <laughs> as Noel Coward, coming in <laughs> to do an Alan Bennett monologue. Yeah, yeah. I do think drum schools have changed now. Yes, very, I'm sure. Very, I'm sure. very recent change. Very recent it? change, though, think, in the last yeah. sort of few years, really, thank Gould. But back, certainly back when, you know, like when I was auditioning, which was, you know, a good 20-odd years ago, um, I went into an audition for a drama school. I won't name them. Um, and because, uh, you know, I, I pulled a lot of faces, wanted to be funny. And one of the teachers said to me, you don't seem like you could, you should do comedy. Like you, it feels like oh. you're in the wrong body. And I, what they were suggesting was that to be funny, I needed to put on weight um, because that's how they viewed funny women then. They could o- you can only be funny if you're big. Isn't it extraordinary? Um, yeah. And that's that's Terrible, exactly what happened to me when I first auditioned. They didn't know what loads of drama schools didn't know what to do with me because I was sort of I was like a rake, blonde hair and you know lovely tan. You know I was just wandering in really leggy <laughs> yeah, and um, right. pulling yes. loads of faces, being a right goofball. But luckily, I found a drama school that saw that. Did you? In me Where did you go, yeah. Laura? Where did you? I go? went to Mountview. So you didn't even know about that one, didn't you? Yeah, really and they were brilliant. They never knocked your accent out of you. They encouraged you to keep it. I think you know certainly twenty odd years ago they were I really. I think though, it's only time, now you know. that like. I've been like directing drama schools and as well as, you know, obviously like alongside doing my professional directing as well, like all my career to, you know, make ends meet. And I love it as well. I find it uh, oh, so yeah. important. Also, I like mm. being a sort of mouthy woman in that environment mm. and going against all those things yeah, you were saying and right. finding those like odd kids who do walk <laughs> in and do a monologue for a 40 year old man. We would love that, that wouldn't we? If we were auditioning oh, and it. a kid like you'd come uh, in and said, I love no I'd coward, have in I for would sure. Be, be, uh, I would have loved it. Yeah, beside But when I started, it was all like, and I was always the one who's saying, no, it's not true, it's not true. But it was like, you mustn't let anyone know your sexuality. Absolutely. Never, ever, ever do a monologue that suggests you're gay let the no, panel be totally no, 
make sure the panel have no idea and never have any tattoos you mustn't speak in a regional accent don't have any piercings mm. whatever you do i mean just so much like don't be interesting, do make basically. yourself as blank a canvas as you can be yeah and it's just not like that thank god anymore um or or i think where it is it's really dying out and uh, thank god for that because of course make as an actor you need to be adaptable but you also need to be your authentic self no one can go through their life not living as themselves that's just not now more than ever well and and also i think when which is so exciting i think because now the access to making the work is a bit more straightforward you know as in like you can make a film and put it on instagram yeah, or you can, yeah. do you know what i mean things yeah. like i know that's not i know it's not as simple as that but or you, there's a bit more sort of communication between people online and a sort of validation i imagine i hope for young people because so then you can go and do your own stuff and make stuff and feel like that's enough whereas it felt for me like drama school was the only way you would ever find a way yeah, into being because there's no because that's interesting you say that law about like um the teacher saying you want to be a comedian there was no like training for comedians all there was was like you go and become an actor and that was it that was all as far as i understood yeah. it. i didn't understand anything else so i had no idea about the the path that what the path was it's not even just getting a foot in the door where the door was yeah, yeah absolutely was so removed from me and that's why i think i think it's still probably the same a, a lot of the time people, young people hugely talented huge huge kind of creative instinct just have denied it because they just go i don't know how to do it but if your parents are in the arts then yeah. it's very different and also now of course if you're an audition for a drama school it costs 50 quid a, a pop oh, each time yeah. and and, and, you and you're traveling and you're traveling from oh, the God, north yeah. of england down oh, to london who's got that if you're well, working I, I class who's got it, that like it was like i'd worked in the golf club four pounds an hour and they were charging yeah i think it was still like 25 quid that was like a day that was a whole day that i hated yeah. Go, you know, to go and to go up to Central, absolutely terrified, herded in like a, like you know, like yeah. you know, just in a in a group where they didn't give a shit or go, thanks for coming, lovely to meet you, who are you? Yeah. They just sort of did some little workshop and then after an hour went, um, these people can stay, the rest of you yeah. can piss off. As a working class kid, where you're not used to, and you walk in and go, I'm not meant to be here. You think, oh, yeah. I'm not meant to be here. Oh. Like, when I look back, I, I'm absolutely incandescent, really, at how they behave. Yeah. Because I think they are, um, yeah, I, the Lambda one, I just put my stuff down, wasn't supposed, wasn't supposed to say hello. I went, oh, hello, good morning. Stand in the middle of a room while they just sat there behind a desk. Very grand, what are you doing? Of course, and it's not, it's not necessarily, it's not about money. or any, It's just confidence, isn't it? Confidence. So that person behind the desk, one way or another has got confidence, and you haven't. And they must have yeah. just loved seeing these like 18 year olds come in and just look absolutely frazzled by it. They must have yeah. really got off on it. And I just think, God, you're vile. <laughs> and, and isn't that great to say? I can say that now. Gosh, I've never You can say that now. And I think like, there's just been a huge shake up now, which is great, all for the better, and to stop those sort of people working in those establishments. I think some, most drama schools are making a real effort with that yeah, now. Yeah, it aren't has they? to be the case. If you want be. any diversity of any sort in the arts, then you have to make training accessible and not make those institutions feel like completely alien and mm. you know external to people's experiences they have to represent that as well yeah obviously that was another sort of experience mm-hmm. we go okay Sorry, i don't fit no not at all it's so interesting so how <laughs> no, no, did you find the door this door that was mysteriously somewhere door. that everyone keeps telling you about but... well no no one told me about comedy at all it wasn't a thing you could do the only bit, I loved Victoria Wood and I sort of had an mm. inkling that I wanted to be a bit like her, but I didn't know how you would even go about that. And I had a sense you'd have to go to all these horrible clubs and it would be really frightening. Mm. And I went and I joined the National Youth Theatre, uh, which my dra- I phoned my drama teacher from school and she said, well, have you thought about auditioning for the NYT? And it was only because she suggested it. I went for the audition and it all just fit into place. And mm. for a lot of people, I think they maybe didn't have that experience at that time. Um, but for me, it just worked out, and it was a place where you could be camp. Ed Wilson was in charge. Was a very. Did you do it, Laura? Did you do it, Hannah? Do you know what I didn't? But Hannah has. You, you, well, I didn't get in, but I. Sorry. You direct now. I now direct you? for the National Youth Music Theatre, oh, so I have well. done a, a, quite a few shows for them. No, I've never a, done yeah, it's NY, a lovely thing. MT or NYT because I had never heard of it. Never, so I'd I think if someone had told me about it, though, I would have gone and done it. Yeah. Well, everybody would, and they've done a lot of work now. I think to try and make people aware of it, of themselves. Um, 
as far as I know. So I think that's positive. But um, at the time, it felt like such a rare treat because suddenly it was like all these people were like camp and ground. They're like, that's yeah. what I want to be. I want to be like Ed yeah. Wilson. I want to be so like these kind of like characters. Found your people, yeah. yeah and, like, and I did an Alan Bennett monologue and I thought, oh God, he's going <laughs> to laugh at me doing a chip in the sugar. Chips come up, don't they? A lot for working class people. Yeah. But, um, <laughs> chips on your shoulder, chips in the sugar, chips, chips for tea. in your egg. Yeah. <laughs> chips in your egg. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> and then... Um, and then all these other people and everybody was sort of, you know, just eccentric and different. You met all these other young people from around the country and it still was not out, still didn't have the courage to come out, still didn't seem to meet any other gay people or maybe met like four gay people out of the thousand other young people I met. But I just loved it and I felt so excited. And I felt so welcome. And I'd never felt, and it really took me outside of my, you know, not, I didn't have a terrible childhood at all. I had a lovely, loving family and lots of wonderful opportunities. Um, but it just took me outside of the, the small town yeah. thing that you have when you're growing up in one place. It's amazing to walk into a room. I, know, I felt that the minute I walked in the Brit school, actually, because that's like the right. still one of the only non-fee-paying performing arts colleges about. Yes. And you go there for like your A-level years. And I never forget walking in that building. And the, the facilities there are just incredible mm. for what you get for free. They're way better than drama schools and people are paying for that. But mm. um, uh, I remember walking in the first time and it's a, a, understandably a lot of working class kids there because, of course, it's free and they can get in. And yeah. I just remember walking in and going, oh, my God. Like, I just felt like, you know, that where I was putting on the posh voice and putting on the working class, it all just yeah. dissipated. And I was like oh, I can just talk like me. And I, I took a while to find out who that was, actually, because I've spent so many years going in and out of Trying different characters. Into... Yeah, yeah, but I'll never forget that first day walking into Brit School and going, oh, wow. Oh, that's lovely, isn't it? Yeah, yeah. it was really lovely. Yeah, that's, those moments are so powerful. It, of course, for some people, drama school, I'm sure, is that, and it's unfair of me to yeah. use my experience yeah. to slag them off. And I, don't, and I think, like you say, Hannah, I don't, I don't think they're like that now. So you went to NYT. Presumably, you started doing funny characters, etc. Was that indeed. how how you found your comedy voice? Is that um, yes, indeed. And um, I sort of again was still still like acting was the thing. Stand up was not a thing. There was only like straight blokes who did it. People like Jim Davidson. <laughs> yeah. Yes. And, and then people like Peter Kay and Jimmy Carr were starting to come along. Hmm. Um, but they were again straight blokes who yeah. did blokey comedy for straight people like it was all very straight yeah and so I thought well the acting is you know then I can be somebody else but then I realized I wasn't really that you know I, I, NYT were brilliant to me and I got an agent from the back of it Evans and Rise um <laughs> and they were wonderful and very encouraging to me and uh and lovely and but I'd go for auditions and of course there's no parts for young Noel Coward, Alan Bennett fans. Well, there who, wasn't certainly back then, I suppose, was there? Yeah, now I suppose we have a, a lot more sort of celebration of the eccentric, which is wonderful. Mm. And I remember going for an audition for a TV role and they were like, oh no, too big. Why are you I didn't know the difference <laughs> between theatre acting and on <laughs> What are you doing? No, much. Too, oh God, no. This casting director, absolutely terrifying. You know, that, I think I still have that sense of, oh God, I'm too much. But then some friends of mine there, particularly Sam uh, Battersea and Charlie Baker, they encouraged me to try stand up because Charlie had done a bit of it, and he said, "Why don't you give it a whirl? You might, it might." Just, and I just liked the idea of it. Just to be, it felt like a dare. Yeah. <laughs> right, right. So I was like, "I don't belong in a place like that. I won't be able to cope." And I did it. And it was sort of like, "Oh, how funny to think that you, people sort of laughed." I think because they thought it was a funny idea that I would try it. And from that, I just sort of did it. And I did those competitions, and I won them, which was lovely. But actually, they were a sort of they made me put more pressure on myself to be perfect, and I was rubbish. Uh, it wasn't rubbish, but I took a lot of, I had a long journey to go on, I think, to know myself. And it meant that I'd get booked for gigs that I wasn't ready for. And I was too mm. scared. I was just so scared all yeah. the time. Yeah, well, it's terrifying, isn't it, going out there and mm. do, trying to be funny with your own material. There's no one to blame, Oof. no text to go, well, the script is terrible, the direction Absolutely. is terrible, it's all on you, yeah. it's, all you you're, it's all you, and it's terrifying. Well, I love doing stand-up because, of course, all those snooty actors I'd met when I'd gone for drama school auditions or whatever, I was suddenly like you can't do any of this. I stand up there on my own yeah. and I've got nothing to fall back on. I've got nothing. No. I've got nothing else, but like there's nothing there. There's no one there. And then I stand up and I do it. And when it worked, it was so great. And did you, and did you start doing sort of paid gigs? Did it like, you know, how was it to sustain that? As no, a, you didn't know, working dare, class? really. I, did, I got a few gigs, but I wasn't confident. I wasn't, I just didn't think I belonged there. I wasn't I didn't feel like I was right. You know, I felt like I was a square peg in a round hole, but I was like, I've won these competitions. I suppose I probably should give it a whirl and I don't seem to be able to get much work as an actor. So maybe this is the thing. But did you enjoy it when you were up there? Did you think, oh, I'm 
sort of digging this. And um, when it went well, yes, but it would only go well <laughs> yeah, about twenty percent of the time. <laughs> so it was about twelve years of just sort of self-loathing, I suppose, and going like, it's not quite right, but I'll just do it. Or I'd just sort of deaden myself to the idea. So it didn't matter how it went. I just wouldn't think about it until I got there. I'd be too scared to write new material in case it went wrong. So I stuck to doing the same set for ages. Just terrified, just so scared all the time. And what changed? What was the the thing that made you start to think, oh, this is where I fit? Or what what was the the job? What was the opportunity that changed that? Um, I turned 30... I'd been living in, like, lodging with friends and stuff for a few years. And I was like, do you know what? This is staffed. I want to be around my family. And that's when I moved back when I was 30. So I'd been living away for about six years and I moved back when I was 30. And I just was like, I've got to make a go of this now. I'm 30. What am I doing? So I based, I used the base of my family and my home life in Bromley. And I started talking about that on stage. And that sort of shifted things. So I was like, hmm. oh, stop doing that thing that they told you, at, you know, from drama school. Stop trying to be something you're not. Mm-hmm. Talk about being a posh-sounding working-class boy who's mm-hmm. living with his mum and dad <laughs> in suburban Bromley, who's gay but isn't very confident about it. Talk about all of that. That happened, and that combined with my friend Sarah Milliken, who I'd done those competitions with, asked me to do a couple of support gigs for her tour. And then she booked me for loads of her support gigs, and she was such a mentor to me and really sort of broke it all down so I could just cope with it. It wasn't so overwhelming and so frightening. And I, I just sort of tried to learn from her and just calmly just being yourself, writing a joke, writing another joke, describing a thing, writing a punchline, you know, just sort of breaking down the craft of mm-hmm. it. And I felt so much safer. And I, I really felt so kind of embedded with that. Um, and, and that gave me the confidence to then, I just emailed, it was before I had the great management I have now, I just emailed eight out of 10 cats does countdown and said, will you consider having me on? And they went, well, come in from, come up with some ideas and come and meet us. So I did. And they had me on the show and it was amazing. But I could only do that because I had the confidence from being with my mum and dad, yeah. my friend Sarah and other friends as well. But it just encouraged me. And then off the back of that, I did an Edinburgh that I really enjoyed. And then I, I had the confidence to, well, t- they sort of approached me and I had the confidence to believe they would want me, the management company off the curb and flow there took me on. And that changed everything because she believed in me. And then I suddenly was like, yes, maybe I am not shit. So mm-hmm. that changed everything. So, sorry, there wasn't like a one moment where it was like, and then it was fine. And I still have that imposter syndrome. Yeah, yeah. of course, of course. And, you know, it's, it, all, it takes a village really, doesn't it? Meeting your people where they go, I understand your voice and encourage you. That's when it, it all clicks into place. I was exactly the same. You know, when we were on the comedy circuit, we were sort of like being what we thought we should be. Yes. Actually, when I, when I just went, you know what, fuck it, this is who I am. Fuck it. That's when yeah. I started doing well. This is what I've got to offer. Yeah. This, exactly. Well, my friend Rob said that to me because you go up to Edinburgh and stuff and you feel like, again, another very middle class. I, f- I didn't enjoy Edinburgh oh, really yeah. because it was particularly in the early years of doing it. I did it for like 12 years, I think. And the early years of doing it, I was so terrified. I didn't know what I was supposed to be and what the reviewers wanted or how you get attention or how you, what the zeitgeist was or what the rev- yeah. what the, those bloody awards want. I felt so kind of tortured by all of it. And then was playing to like 12 people who all just stared at me. And then my friend Rob was like, just make him laugh. And that's, my fr- that's what my, <laughs> my friend and manager Flo said, just be fucking funny. Yeah. And then you just sort of go, well, that's it. Why are we getting all these other middle class essence of like, must be this, must be that. Just make people laugh. And, and that's what your job is. And yeah. that's what I did. And it's amazing, you know, because now to see you doing that in the mainstream on TV as well, you know, like when I watch you on Extra Slice, you're so brilliant. People just can't get enough of you. And you, and that's because you can tell you just being your authentic self. And it's so lovely to watch that, honestly. It's it's so great to see your rise. And, and oh, uh, my mum's been a huge fan. Like I wasn't lying at the beginning. She's been a huge fan for oh, a long time. And she's oh, nice. Tom was on the telly again tonight. Oh. Very <laughs> funny. Oh, like, like she knows oh. you, bless her. Well, she does. <laughs> she probably knows me better than I know myself. So we always wrap up the show, we'll let you go in a sec, um, with just asking our guests if there's a, an unsung working class hero that they'd like to celebrate today. Um, who would that be for you today, Tom? Well, there's lots of options again, of course, of course. Um, but I would say, I mean, there's my family. Oh, there's my family. I could talk about, I'd love to talk about my nan or, you know, certainly my mum my and dad. Um, and my, bro- my brother, actually, you know, like, maybe that's a good person. I mean, he worked in the city for a bit and didn't feel that was right for him and changed direction and became a tiler. He loves being a tiler. He works so hard. He's like just, you know, and people who do jobs like that, they get often slagged off and like, well, you know, there's no, there's no trades people in this country. They're all terrible. They're all bloody mm. con men. 
mm-hmm. actually they're they're not. There are some bad people at it, but and my yeah. brother would be the first person to sort of um, mention them. But you know, he works hard. He does as good a job as he can. He tries to the people he works with. He tries to keep them happy. He tries to keep the customers happy. He's a perfectionist, and you sort of go, well, it'd be easy to be like, oh, bloody white van man. You know, he doesn't have yeah, a white van yeah. actually, but um, <laughs> you don't need one for tiles. But um, <laughs> you know, just I suppose him probably, or or you know, my various my, my dad's various friends at the from down the golf club, which again sounds very middle class, but my dad was so proud that yeah. he like got into the golf club. Yeah, yeah. People that work hard and you know work long hours. Um, yeah, my brother's a labourer. Well, he's a painter and decorator, and he works really long hours. And yeah. like your brother, they're, and they're so proud. Yeah. Uh, work and their workmanship is just so like it's like second to none, and they don't earn the money that we earn when we do a little turn on telly or whatever. Sure. And I just, you know, I, mm. I I I understand why you've picked those people because. Mm. It's, you know, and often some people, I mean, your brother loves tiling, but some people are often getting up every day and doing a job they they fucking hate. But they do it and they do it with a smile and they carry on and I take my hat off to those people. Uh, What's your brother's name? James. James. So we are celebrating James James today as well as you. (laughs) Tom Allen. Oh, we'll be pleased. It's been such a pleasure. Thank you so much for coming on. Oh, my God. It's been such a... Sorry, I've been like... As I say, I've been surrounded by my mum and my aunt talking all the time. And I was like, well, another thing. I'll tell you another no, thing. No, love it. And, 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 and That's exactly what we want from this. A silent episode would be quite boring, That's wouldn't it? That's the thing so. with podcasting, isn't it? You've got to talk. <laughs> but no, thank you for letting me rabbit on. Sorry. Um, but always lovely to chat to both of you. Lovely to see you. And so thank you so Thanks, much. mate. Thank you. Well, I mean, obviously, I've fangirled completely. You know my feelings on Tom. Um, I know you've met him a few times, but that chat was so interesting, isn't it? I remember it? just being the first time I ever saw him, actually. Funnily enough, it was in a pub in Penge, so I forgot to mention that when it's only oh, that pub, pub. And he, I remember saying to you afterwards, who is that? And you say, I mean, this was years and years ago, mm. and you're going, I know, right? And seeing him a few times. And then when we obviously, you know, been lucky enough to meet him a few times over the years, but when you were like, oh, he comes from a very working-class background just such a brilliant guest for us to have on isn't it and like all those things we've always felt really passionate about about like showing all the many faces of working class life and culture and connection it felt like such a special episode for that reason yeah and I think people that sort of they sort of know Tom's work but might have only seen him on Bake Off or whatever I think I'll be really surprised about his background And, and, and you know it's so amazing that well, it's silly, isn't it, to think that we'd think, oh, but he sounds really posh. How could he possibly be working class? So, yeah, I think he was a perfect guest to get on, like you said, to counteract all the things the we always talk about. Stereotypes of what it is and mm. what it sounds like and what it looks like to be working class. Yeah. Brilliant. Right, well, that's it for this week, folks. Uh, we'll be back next week with a brand new guest. I am off now, Hannah, to enjoy the sun, but you're going back to work, aren't you, sadly? Oh, dear. Thanks for rubbing that in. You enjoy yourself. Well, at least you've got a job. Right, bye. (laughs) Keep it classy. The Proper Class Podcast is produced by Michelle Farr-Scott for Ranga B Productions, edited by James Torrance, with music by Tommy Music. Just to let you know, folks, the Proper Class podcast is now going weekly. And whilst I've got you here, please don't forget to like and subscribe. Spread the word. Tell your friends, neighbours, whoever will listen. We've also got an Instagram page. Ooh, get us. And you can follow all the news and goss at the Proper Class podcast. And if you haven't nodded off yet, we've also gone and got ourselves an official email. So do get in touch. The email is properclasspodcast at gmail.com. Thanks for listening, folks. And remember, keep it classy. Planning for your next trip? Elevate your travel style with Quince. Quince has all the jet-setting essentials you'll want for your next getaway, like European linen, premium luggage options, buttery soft Italian leather bags, and so much more. And is all priced at 50 to 80% less than similar brands. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe and ethical manufacturing practices. Pack your bags with high-quality essentials you'll be wearing for vacations to come with Quince. Go to quince.com slash pack for free shipping and 365-day returns.